Chapter 6 A rustling thump from above woke me, way too early. I scrubbed at my eyes and checked the clock. 6.30 in the morning, God help me. Just over my head, battery footsteps ran across the ceiling, quick and light. So, Lavender was actually rooting about in the attic. She spent the last couple of days roaming around the town with the Darien boys and playing on my old laptop. But this morning was her last chance. It sounded, that she, it sounded like she was taking it. I found the attic irresistible when I was a little kid. I spent the earlier cooler hours of my long summer days trying on feather feather hats and the old lace wedding dress or digging in the sewing table with its box of thousand unsorted buttons. I jumbled things about as I played, dumping a sho- shoulder padded 40s suit into a sea of whalebone corsets, mixing ledges from 1890s with sweater vests and sci-fi paperbacks from my ch- father's childhood. Knowing Lav, she was probably resorting everything by time period or color, at least she was exploring while she could. At 10 am, the estate sale I had hired from Montgomery would be here to begin the assessment. I groaned and pulled the pillow over my head. Sorting the attic was a job for Hercules and even he might have to call in the rest of the Avengers. Lav and I could not do it alone, even if we had three months and a backhoe. The main section took up almost the whole floor, tight aisles winding up like maze through mishmash piles of junk and heirloom-worthy prizes. The narrow back room under the eaves were worse. In it, boxes and chests and wardrobes have been piled six deep with no aisles at all, packed literally to the roof with clothes and papers and furniture and books. I'd always been told to stay clear of that back area, lest I pulled out a wrong piece of keepsake Jenga and topple everything down and smash myself. I disobeyed enough to know that there'd been a full set of Jane Austen in the crates right by the door. Persuasion, the book, held the power of powdery remains of pressed flowers, a remembrance of love gone wrong or right. Either way, there'd been dry bones when I found them and were probably dust now. I'd put persuasion back and the flower oils had wrecked at this print. So on the pages where there had been light to rest, the story was unreadable. I'd hired the estate team to help sort trash from treasure and to let Birch claim the things that mattered to her most personally while she still remembered. It was also a message telegraphing change. Like assisted living brochures, I had them printed out like the speaker phone calls with Watty's sons. Oh, but this is going to be an ugly day. My little ladies were not going gently into the good nursing home. What he fought me every living minute, and Birchie honored off as she was able. Today would be the same, but squared. No, cubed. They had a lot of weapons in their crafty arsenal. Innuendo, barbed asides, appeals to reason or pity or nostalgia. Birchie especially excelled at soft reproach looking wounded yet so forgiving at the same time, when she was on point and the look landed at my chest and pushed in a long skewer of sorry feeling that ran all all the way through. It hadn't changed my mind though. I had a lengthy talk with Dr. Petri and he backed my decisions. He'd been concerned for some time, but the HIPAA and Miss Watty had had his hands pretty well tied. Rachel had emailed me a couple of Norfolk facilities with spotless reputations in memory care units. 
I had held off booking travel until Watty and her sons decided that she'd be touring the facilities with us. Sam wanted her to move to Houston near his family, but Stephen insisted that it was Watty's choice. I thought at the in the end Miss Watty would want to stay with Bertie, though as far as that she only reiterated that neither of them are going any place. Thanks much, Lee. The role reversal, setting rules for women who half tra- half raised me, made me so sad and uncomfortable. that i spent a lot of time hiding in my room saying i was working which i was as long as we could agree on working meaning doodling endless violences on scratch paper and not having any ideas for the prequel i curled up tighter underneath the covers closing down the house itself would be easy when we came to that point in the 1870s houses have been built to last and in this one entropy had never allowed to gain a toehold It was so tidy I could pretty much throw out the milk and eggs cover the furniture and call it closed. Updated double storm windows gleam clean behind crisp shears. The furniture was old fashioned but not actually old. Anything big that began to sag or wither was banished usually to the attic and therein lay the problem. I was now even more snuggled up under the stacked unsorted weight of 140 years of worth of Birch family history. I was loath to get up and begin this day but digby had no such hang up he were, he was already being busy he i put my hand over the place of my belly where i f- felt his che- cheery fizz and jiggle i pressed down but at 17 weeks i could only feel him moving from the inside i heard the familiar creak of the door between my room and lavender's this room had once been my father's his glowing glow in the dark star decals were still all around the ceiling and the tower room had been his playroom i made the my gummy eyes open and pointed them to the doorway lavender froze midway tiptoeing my lap my laptop in her hands good morning i said surprised to find her back downstairs and already playing on the computer i didn't mean to wake wake you she said she came all the way in and put it on the desk i was up she her eyes cut away she walked over to the fireplace picked up the glass shepherd dress who was perched dustless and gleaming on the mantel my room like everyone else here every other room here was a cozy surgical theater spick span and homey lavender whose house was in a constant state of readiness for a restoration hardware photoshoot had seemed right at home but not just now she studied the shepherdess with elaborate over interest as if bo peep was trending on twitter has she been emailing a darian boy or maybe she had been a messenger with Rachel telling her about Tigby girls told their mother things and even when they promised not to i made a mental note to check the browser history later but the kid was definitely up to something god please let her just be watching some sneak r rated anime on my netflix i had way too much on my plate already an enormous shake shook the ceiling something heavy had fallen and hit the floor above us Lavender jumped and I was so startled that I bolted right up as a landslide of small crashes tumbled in the wake of that first boom. What the wasn't you up in the early attic earlier? I asked. Kicking at the bed clothes wound around me. No, she said and ran to see. I got free of the duvet and hurried her down the hall towards my attic stairs in my yummy sushi pajamas. I had visions of Bertie confused and broken lying in the chest of drawers and heavy boxes lavender threw her threw open the door to the to the stairs as i caught up 
and the attic's heat rolled over and over me, thick and wet, salted with dust. I sprinted up the long, steep flight ahead of her now, calling, Birchie, Birchie, is that you? It's okay, we are okay, a male voice said, and I halted halfway up. Frank Darian came to the railing and stood looking down me, mopping his red face with a bandana. The, string of, the strings of beginner's comb over were scraggled, and he looked like he had aged a ten, good ten years since I saw him last Thanksgiving. Hey, Leah, sorry. A stack of book crates bit it, but we're all fine. You all? Who's with you? I demanded. My heart still felt that it was hulking right out inside my chest, swelling and banging, trying to brute force its way out of the prison of my ribcage. Is Birchie up there? Of course not, Frank said, and both his boys appeared beside him. Hey, Miss Leah, Jeffrey said, which made me look like a thousand years old. Hey, Lavender, you said, overly casual. He looked the way Frank had looked at 15, tall and lanky. I became suddenly conscious that my niece was wearing tiny shorts and camisole top. 13 woke up dewy and kitten-eyed and thoroughly adorable and shishing up the stairs had set her hips sway. I started back down, turning lavender and herding her before me. Go get dressed, I whispered to her as we reached the hall. It was a palpable relief to step on the air conditioning. I'm wearing shop more clothes, I hissed and gave her a little push to the room. She rolled her eyes, calling B right back to the boy and another, maybe both of them. They were following their dad down the stairs, but they were both paused to look her twinkle around the hallway. I shook my head and backed up, giving the Darren's plenty of room at the bottom of the stairs. 38 and pregnant did not wake up so fresh and fair. I had bed head and no bra. My mouth was coated with morning goo and probably smelled like the swamp thing. What are you guys doing? I asked. You, down at last, mercifully closed the door on the heat. We dug your trunk out and took it down, and now we are repacking that back room, Frank said, as if it was the most reasonable thing in the weem most reasonable thing in the world for me to wake up to an attic full of Darian's landsliding my books. My trunk? What? You wanted a sweet trunk back back in the back room, I guess? I shook my head. No. And Frank said, Well, Bushy called last night and said what said you did. Do you think she was... Uh, he paused, searching for the words. Maybe she was confused. We all know that Bushy is... Um, he paused again, looking down at the feet. Not herself... It was a kind finish, considering I couldn't think of a worse way to learn about your wife's infidelity than having it publicly announced to your family, friends, clients in the middle of a church socially. I had a sudden urge to go find Jean and smack her one. She's been the one of her, some, one of my summer friends through though by high school. I was tired of her endless drama. She acted like she was on a mission to enact every plot of all my children before graduation. I didn't have a choice. I had to do what my heart told me, she'd say, trading one boyfriend for another with a lot of overlapping and sneaking. Twenty years of marriage and two kids later, it turned out that she was still that girl. That time, her hat had told her to get with get it with Pastor Campbell in the choir room. By now, he, she should have figured out that her heart was shitty and maybe told it to shut up. Frank looked like hell. His eyes puffed small with purple shadows underneath. 
Lines around his mouth and on his forehead looked like they had been scored double deep. I felt swamped with empathy, even though Frank might find that word presumptuous. Sean Ann had touched close to 20 years of shared life. On the scale of douchery, she deserved a higher score than JJ. Even so, Frank and I were two people standing in the hallway who knew what betrayal felt like. No, Bertie is not herself, Frank. I told in an indirect apology. She sounded good on the phone, though. He said, not meeting my eyes. What time did she call? I asked, changing the subject, if not the subject, uh, to give him some relief. Maybe eight. I frowned. Had Bertie snuck back in the bed to call him? Was Watty with her? Yeah, on speakerphone. You know how they do, like always. Maybe they know what they meant, and whatever in the trunk was a surprise. I didn't think so. Not a nice one anyway, considering our constant clash of wills for the following days. I had a vague but a bad suspicion, suspicious feeling growing. Excuse me, Miss Leah. Jeffrey said and squatted past me. Hugh in the wake. Dad, can we go down? Smells like the rolls are ready. Once he said it, I noticed it too. The yeasty, sugared smell of watty cinnamon rolls drifting up from the kitchen. She must be away way be- she must be up way before dawn. They had to rise twice and bake for 40 minutes. Sure, Frank said, but afterward you're going to help me restack the boxes. They clattered down the hall and Hugh paused at Lav's door. He gave it a casual rap. "Yo, Lefty, come have breakfast." "Lefty? Lavender?" Now in a cartoon t-shirt and and the tennis shoes came out. and they galloped downstairs to eat a thousand calories in buttery and sugary carbs that would slide right off their adolescent bodies nature's wonder how are you holding up i asked frank once they were alone she shook his head as if i had asked a yes or no question and she again he gave me a sad cynical smile that my heart broke for him again he was such a decent person so good to my grandmother in summer he sent his boys down to mohar land He acted as a man in the house when the porch light went out or the doorbell stopped working. Now he was up in the 1000 degree attic heat before the work day started, moving boxes for two old ladies who had blown up his marriage in front of his whole church. How were the boys doing? I asked. Frank didn't answer for a second. He stared at eyes searching my face, looking for some shade of Shannon Fruard or gossipy interest. I hoped he wouldn't imagine it there. I asked because he was our family friend and because he was fresh broken from the way I'd felt cracked my whole adult life. Frank must have read me right, but his guard dropped. His shoulders slumped and the dark pits of his eyes told me how hard he was working to keep himself together. He said, "He was st- shut down. I had no idea, Jeffrey. She's young. He can't hide how hard he's taking it. Watching him try, it breaks my heart." God, Frank, I'm so sorry," I said. I knew from Lavender that boys were staying with him on, at the house. They had been able to see their mom for a couple of times, walking over to their grandma's, where she was staying, a half mile away from the square. Have you talked to Janan and Toral? He asked. Yeah, I'm trying to be civil, even though she's Cam- seeing Campbell. They fell in love, apparently. Martina Mac, God bless her. God bless her black hole heart. came by with burnt chicken casserole and the cheery news of course she did 
She dropped by there with a melted carrot cake to tell me her aunt's endless and agonizing death from Alzheimer's. I wouldn't let her in, but she shouldered onto shouldered into the doorway and gave me every awful detail. No one on the porch in this planet had ever so thoughtfully relished a dead aunt. We shrugged simultaneously with the very acceptance of the small towners towards their homegrown horrors. I added, "If it helps, she also told me that the church fired Campbell." Adultery from the associate pastor was not a big congregational congregational moment morale builder. Yeah, I couldn't set foot in that church otherwise. In some ways it's bad. I'm scared she'll move away with him. I'm telling everyone who listen that I'm fine. It's fine. I keep reminding folks that she's hurting too. And believe me, these words taste worse than Martinez casserole, but I have to. I don't want her to be driven away out of town. I mean, I do on a rail. but coated in a little tar some feathers he smiled wry and weary but if she goes she'll try to take the boys and the law leans towards the mother and i'm not letting that happen i can't i have to think about them now and not strangle her i swallowed lump in my throat grow even th- grown even thicker but this was what my father would look like when it was done right from the beginning i wouldn't know the birchland had bad luck with fathers Bachi was the last for us to have all the way through the adulthood. I had Keith and he'd been a great stepdad actually. He loved me a lot. And but I still called him Keith. I never called him dad. Once when Rachel and I were very little still in preschool, Keith had been playing dollhouse with us. No rocket chair goes there daddy, I said. I didn't even notice I said it. In the next breath, Rachel launched herself into me. punching and screaming she bit my sh- shoulder hard enough to make me bleed keith had to drag her off still flailing my mo- my mother came running as rachel and i both burst into tears she stopped into the doorway fluttering and flapping and saying what happened what happened i stopped crying first rachel sobbed and heaved in mom's arm- arms the whole time keith was dressing the bite hard racking sobs that ended when only when keith finished and went to hold her I never called my stepdad anything but Keith again. Remembering my hands went to cover Dickby. Now the third generation, third fatherless birch generation. You're doing the right thing, I told Frank. Yeah, and thanks for listening. I can't say this stuff to most people, you know. It will get around. Frank straightened, manually moving his shoulders back and down as if they were relifting really a burden. I need to get home. Louis Gaines coming by at 9 to write her nephew out of her will again that's why we came to get your trunk so early sorry we woke you i'd forgotten the trunk where did you put it in the den what he wanted us to load it in your car but i told her we'd go do that on the way out my suspicions were good and roused i turned to the stairs and said let's go and see what the old late old, old little old lady tells brigade is up to considering they had hidden burgie's illness for so long i couldn't imagine what it was when i was going to or whether i'm going to like my new plan so much frank began to answer and then stopped he tilted his head listening a car engine had started up opposite so close that it had to be coming through the driveway what the hell i said is it your car he asked then she then shook his head no as if answering his no question it had to be though 
The only car parked there was my rental, but no one downstairs had any business driving. I was 38 and pregnant, but I took the stairs in the old fast slide and leap like I used to when I was a kid and skidding down the banister. I sprinted through the den where Lavender was sitting between two boys on the sofa, my computer on her lap. They were all peering into the screen and eating cinnamon buns. They looked up at me with startled sugary faces as I thundered through. Frank Terrian right behind me and I flung open the front door, ran, ran out onto the porch and leaped down onto the stairs too. Stairs too. The rental car was already backing down the long crushed seashell drive with Watty behind the wheel. Birchie sat in the passenger seat. I could make out the hunched shape of large chest blooming in the back. Watty must have had the boy smooth when Frank and I were talking. Stop, stop, I yelled, running barefoot onto the wet grass on the lawn. Watty didn't have a driver's license for years and for damn good reasons. Where did she think she was going? Watty's eyes met mine. She stomped down hard on the gas. The car surged backward. Frank zoomed past me in his longer legs, trying to get behind me and the car so that they could have to stop. Frank, no, I screamed, chasing the, star, chasing the car head on. What if Watty didn't see him? The Darian boys would spill onto the porch just in time to watch their fathers be squashed. The car was moving too fast, I thought. Frank wasn't going to make it. Watty's eyes were still locked on mine and she locked the angle she lost the angle she came at the end of the drive. The back left tire cut into the yard and the car bounced and jerked. Watty saw through the wheel saw through the wheel the other day, gunning the engine, overcorrecting. The right tires veered into the yard, skidding on the grass and finally she braked. Too late, the trunk of the car smashed into the brick box pillar with a horrific crunch. Oh my god, Lavender yelled. She arrived with Jeffrey and Hugh at the right moment to see the crash. I was still running for the car. Frank got there first, to Watty's side. She jerked at the door, but it was locked. Open the door, he yelled through the glass. Watty wouldn't even look at him. She stared forward through the windshield, shaken and mutinous all at once. I leapt awkwardly through the driveway to the passenger side, the crushed seashells biting the bottoms of my feet. I peered into the window. Birchie stared there back at me with startled eyes, her fluffy bun in a mucks. Unlock it, I yelled. She obediently clicked the button and I hauled the door open when Watty could relock it. She was, she was actually trying, but Frank got her door open. I reached in, my hands feeling all over Birchie, running up and down her arms, her face and neck, her chest and ribs looking for damage. Are you okay? I said. I said it way too loud right into her face. Of course I am, honey. Such a fuss, she said, giving me eyebrows pushing into my searching hands. Leah, stop grossing my bottom. Are you all right? Frank was jacked up and yelling it at Watty's face too. Let us go, Watty said, low and intense. We'll be right back in a minute. You crashed my rental car. I was still yelling. I couldn't stop. Bah, barely, and we have to go. The car will still drive. The airbags didn't even come out. I was suddenly dizzy and sick. Imagine if they had airbags going off like gunshots, striking at their old frail bodies, pulping them. Should I call 911? I asked Birchie. Does anything hurt? Make her let us go, what he said, clutching Frank's arm, appealing to him. In answer, he reached out to her and grabbed the keys, shutting the car's engine off.
What's happening? Voice called behind me. I looked over my shoulder and saw the Barleys, Birchie's elderly left-side neighbors, tottering towards us from the house. It was too early for a lot of folks to be about, but I spotted Martina Mark bustling down the street towards the towards us from the square as fast as she could, and to the very last bit of hell that I needed right now. What he slumped in the driver's seat, defeated. You're all fine, Lisbeth. You and Ka, Jack, go on in the house. But she called the Barleys. They didn't. They stopped on at the end, edge of the yard. But she clicked her seat belt open and swung her feet around. I don't think you should stand up, I said. She flapped her hand around me and started climbing out anyway. I took her elbow and helped her. She walked around me in the car, turning in the crumple of the bumper. Is everyone okay? I made a call. Wadi clabbered out the car too, silent and stoic, her face unreadable. Get the trunk of the bra- out of the back seat, I said to Frank, and that got her attention. You leave that be, Wadi said, but I spoke over her. Right now, Frank, I'm not kidding. Frank, you need to mind me, Wadi said. He paused, looking back and forth at us, and his gaze finally settled on Birchie. She was still blinking at the bumper. Miss Birchie, Frank said. Goodness, did we crash the car? She peered at him. I put the arm around her and stood as tall as I could. It wasn't very tall, granted. Plus, I was waking, wearing pink pajamas over cartoon California rolls and unagi sprinkled all over them. But I was still a birch in Birchville. Maybe not the birch, but my grandmother didn't seem to be up to the job this morning. Get the trunk, Frank. Frank shook his head, almost an apology at Wetty, and but then... He did what I said. Hugh came down to the porch and helped him without being asked. Jeffrey and Lab trailed after, curious. What he glared, warning daggers at us all, mostly me. We all stood in a cluster in the center of the lawn, watching Frank and Hugh wrestle the trunk out of the back seat. What he stepped to Birchie and took her place beside her. They linked arms, clicking together as perfectly as Lego pieces. On Birchie's other side, I feel suddenly extraneous. Frank and Hugh set the gr- trunk on the grass. It was a, it was an old brown sea chest, the edges bound in rust-speckled metal. It's locked, Hugh said. Sure enough, there was an old padlock with a keyhole, rusted but still in service, on the clasp. Martina Mack had reached the lawn. What's happening? She demanded in her scratchy old lady voice. Don't you dare trample my grass, Martina Mark, but she ordered. We have enough grass tramplers here already. While the rest of her ignored her, she went in to join the Burleys, whispering at the edge of the yard. What's in there? Lavender asked Wadi. The boys flanked her, both her bodies angled towards her. Nothing, Wadi said. Bull, I said. Wadi had left the driver's side open and I went to the car, leaned in and popped the trunk. The chest itself is pretty light. It's not books or anything. Were you running away? I asked Birchie as I went around to the back of the car to dig out the tire iron. That was all I could imagine, that it was an escape trunk packed with orthopedic shoes and cotton drawers and nice house dresses hidden in the attic that I kept insisting Birchie had come to Norfolk. Is that my hope chest? Birchie asked as if noticing the trunk for the first time. Mornings were usually her best time, but the crash has startled her. It's like a Pandora's box.
I heard laughs, love saying softly to Hugh and Jeffrey, I don't think they should open it. It's not your hope chest, what he said to Birchie. There's no hope in it. I turned away, lifted the tire iron. Don't you do it, what he warned me. I smashed it and smashed on on the old lock. The chest shivered, but it held. Want me to try, said Jeffrey, with a teenage boy's enthusiasm of wagging things with sticks. Birchie said, it's my wedding dress, it's my married lady linens. I brought the tire iron down again, hard as I could. The lock held, but the clasp itself broke, falling down to seesaw on one of the hinges. The Barleys and the Martina Mac crept up a little closer, crossing the invisible border onto our property. The kids all three leaned in, and Lavender reached out to grab both boys by their arms. I dropped the tire iron, put my hands on the rough wood of the lid. There was a breathless pause as I swung it open. I saw something pale, maybe white, wrapped loose in plastic sheeting, so old that it had yellowed. I peeled the top layer of the sheeting back. Lavender gasped, clutching the boys in closer. Frank said a bad word under his breath. I could hear Watty panting behind me. What is that? Martina Max said, bustling across the yard. Aggrieved. We can't see your block. Her voice cut out abruptly as she came behind me. Why, that's not my wedding dress, Bertie said. You'll need to look again, Frank. My hope just seemed my hope just seemed to be farther back. I couldn't. Was barely breathing. Bertie reached past me and gently and mercifully shut the trunk, covering the piles of bones and loose teeth littering in the bottom, covering the human skull resting beside its own jawbone, its crown decorated in a deep, unnatural crackling high up against the back. The trunk had only one lid left to close over the black pits of the eye sockets as they stared up from the depths of old, dark and empty of everything.